Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1548, 1548, and today we are going to do something a little different. You know I'm not a big fan of syndications or investing in funds or anything like that, but I thought it would be interesting for you to hear uh, this some stories about this and uh, learn a little bit more about it and kind of peel back the curtain if you don't know what it's all about. And that's what we will hear as, as well as many other things with our guests today. So we will have that in a few minutes. But first, in maybe the biggest irony of all, um, J.P. Morgan, this is according to the Wall Street Journal, J.P. Morgan is investigating employees and its own clients over coronavirus stimulus programs. Well, isn't that the pot calling the kettle black, right? Jamie Dimon, okay, who, you know, <laughs> judge for yourself, folks, but I wouldn't say Jamie Dimon has any kind of clean slate here. We profiled that years ago during the Great Recession and all the shenanigans he was pulling. But hey, when you are the mega rich and mega powerful, you can do whatever you want and the law doesn't apply to you, and you have a battery of attorneys and banksters, well, you are a bankster, <laughs> and accountants to uh, help you basically work the system and exploit every possible loophole. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that is the world in which we live. So yes, pot calling kettle black, J.P. Morgan Chase investigating its own employees and clients over coronavirus stimulus packages. Now, I don't deny that they probably, you know, that's probably reasonable because I'm sure some employees at the company have pushed packages through that were probably marginal, just like they push marginal mortgages through and marginal investments through at every level of the company. And it, you know, I'm not singling out J.P. Morgan Chase. I mean, all these banks, they're just all... I can't think of one that I'd say anything good about, and certainly not this one, or Wells Fargo, where there's like a scandal every month. Maybe that subsided a bit, but, you know, maybe they ought to look in the mirror and investigate themselves. I mean, think about that. The company who should be running their own ship is now trying to separate themselves, saying, oh, you know, as a shot across the bow, a preventative measure to deflect the blame that we know is coming. Let's investigate our own employees and our own clients because they must be the evildoers. No, it's not our responsibility to prevent fraud in our own company. 
we, we're going to now push the blame onto our employees and our clients. Right. Good job, Jamie Dimon. You, you must have a great PR firm because uh, that's a, that's, you know that that's a shot across the bow because undoubtedly in six months or a year, you will hear that the big banksters will be investigated for all the fraud they've committed and all the money they've stolen from the taxpayers over these stimulus packages. You just, you just got to know it's coming. By the way, I have zero evidence. I want to make that clear. Don't sue me. <laughs> I don't have any evidence, but I just know the way these scumbags operate and, you know, it would be par for the course. So we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong. Hey, surprise me. I'll be pleasantly surprised when, um, when we don't see that. So in 1964, minimum wage was five silver quarters per hour. So a quarter that was actually made of silver back in the day, 1964, that was the minimum wage. Today, and this is as of, because I posted this on Facebook seven years ago, this is as of February 27th, 2013, those five quarters are worth $26.21 in meltdown value. We don't need to fix minimum wage. We need to fix the money. And by the way, let's go back to the banksters like Jamie Dimon and all the rest of them, you know, not singling him out, though this is the article in the Wall Street Journal, right, that I was talking about. They are part of the big inflation scam that is impoverishing poor and middle class people and the rich are getting richer and the elites are getting just richer and more powerful. And this is how wealth concentrates. It's one of many ways that they do it. Uh, because inflation is a liar and a cheater and a pickpocket and a thief. And it's very subtle. So, And in Los Angeles County, the Socialist Republic of California and my own hometown of LA, they have banned risky Halloween activities. So this includes trick-or-treating, which will be outlawed this year. No trick-or-treating allowed and no Halloween parties. Yes, that's all been banned because the intrusive Big Brother 1984 government has banned it all. And it's always under the guise of our own protection, isn't it? And it's painfully obvious that fake book, you know, Jason, do you like anybody? None of these people are, or companies or cities or entities that I'm talking about. But it's painfully obvious that Fakebook has their so obvious agenda. Have you posted anything on Fakebook lately and you got the notice that this is fake? As if Fakebook isn't fake? How far can you trust Mark Zuckerberg? Well, about as far as you can throw him, right? The privacy invader-in-chief, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, has now taken control of every Facebook post and you've probably noticed that in Instant Messenger and in the fake, fake book Messenger app, you know, literally they're deleting, they're re of course, they're reading the post. Their disgusting Big Brother computer is reading the messages you trade with people. But it's literally deleting private messages. And it is sometimes telling posters when they make a post that, what they're posting isn't true by, you know, fake book's opinion. Now, I'm sure someone has done a survey, uh, and I'd love to see it, because, um, you know, if you post something left-leaning that's fake or 
that they think is fake because their fact checkers obviously are left-leaning people. And that's been proven over and over again. They're all Marxist, right? We've, you know, that's, there's much evidence, many articles about that. Many ex-Fakebook employees that uh, have left Fakebook and come out and said that, you know, they're suppressing all kinds of conservative speech and conservative thought and promoting liberal thought. And, and I don't mean liberal in a good way. I mean, in a bad way. I mean, liberal in some ways is good, right? But, you know, not all of it, obviously. And that meaning has multiple meanings. We won't even go into that. But if you post something fake that is pro-conservative, anti-Democrat versus something that is pro-Democrat and anti-conservative, but also fake, I wonder if you get the, the suppression and the alert and the deleted message in your Facebook Messenger. It's just absolutely pathetic. I mean, the world we're living in is totally pathetic. Next time, folks, talk on the phone and say something that is pro-conservative and see if the phone company shuts you off or deletes your conversation or, you know, disconnects the phone when you're talking to someone else, right? And this is why Fakebook and disgusting Google and all the rest should be regulated under common carrier laws like utilities where they don't get to pick and choose because who's the one picking and choosing? Yeah, I get it. You don't want a bunch of fake news spreading around, but what are they going to do next? Invade your conversation? If you had a Halloween party? Oh, wait, that's illegal. <laughs> but, you know, if you, in the future someday, when we're allowed to have a Halloween party again or go trick-or-treating and you talk to people, are, are they going to interfere with your conversation and put up a force field and say, oh, you can't say that? You know, this is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I cannot believe we're living in this era. This is unbelievable. It's, it's crazy. So we'll talk about this probably on Monday for our 10th episode show. But Zillow is out with an amazing, amazing piece of news. They say that nearly 2 million renters could become homeowners due to telecommuting, thanks to telecommuting. This is a big deal, folks, and it's good news for you. Because guess where these renters are moving from? High-priced cyclical markets to lower-priced linear or hybrid markets where you own properties. Thank you, Jason Hartman Network, uh, for helping us own those properties, <laughs> right? And you own those properties, and now these people are coming into those markets buying. If you're trying to buy now, I know it's difficult. It ain't easy. But, you know, we're not going to sell a bunch of junk product and recommend that to you. So we're picky. Uh, so yeah, there's other junk providers out there. They're selling a lot of junk. They're, they're pushing up the prices in these markets where you're buying or you own properties already. So congratulations, congratulations to you. That is great news. Hooray, hooray, hip, hip, hooray. So that's that. And we'll get, we'll do more of that on Monday. We'll talk more about that on Monday because it is very good news and very exciting. In fact, it's huge. It's a really big deal. Also, interesting article, and hopefully we'll get time to talk about this one on Monday as well. Of course, we've got Flashback Friday tomorrow, but we're not going to do, that's Flashback. So Monday will be our 10th episode show and we'll be talking about some new stuff. And remote work destroying 
America's white-collar office economy. Interesting concept. We've talked about the office properties and how they're really suffering. But what about all the ancillary stuff that goes with that? What about people stopping at the coffee shop? You know, Starbucks, the coffee cartel that oppresses free speech themselves and has their own crazy agendas with their pesticide-laden coffee that's probably destroying the fertility of the population and among other things and giving them cancer and diabetes. And that's a whole nother fiasco. It's really just, I cannot believe we live in the world we live in sometimes. It's, it's truly amazing. Anyway, so we'll uh, see if we get time to talk about that one on Monday. And some bad news. I am very worried. I had to rush my dog to the emergency veterinarian today because she has very low platelet count. So if there's any veterinarians out there listening, I'm sure there are, and you know anything about this, I'd love to hear from you. When my mom got sick a few years ago, so many of our doctor or client clients reached out to me and you know shared some advice and insight and really appreciate our listeners. So thank you so much uh, for all of that. And, and looks like Coco the dog is going to be staying at the hospital for the next few days and uh, being checked in because, you know, you worry about gallbladder, liver, internal bleeding, autoimmune disease. They don't know what it is, but they got to run a million tests. So hopefully that will come back okay and she'll be back in action soon. So your prayers are appreciated for that. And for our Empowered Investor Inner Circle, we are going to have a uh, our monthly coaching call. And by the way, I know I've promised we're going to invite all the rest of you to that. We're just getting a little informational webinar together so you can check it out. And our monthly coaching call coming up for the Empowered Investor Inner Circle is going to be great. If you join afterwards, we'll have the recording available for you. But I have discovered a fantastic software tool for investors. Wow. It's it's good. I I just really got a full detailed look at it with the founder and CEO a couple of weeks ago. We did a basically we did a webinar on it and I'm going to play that video for our inner circle members and um it's it's pretty magical. I was super impressed. Now, of course, I have my own software business, Property Tracker and Real Estate Tools, and that's great. It doesn't do as much as this does, though. But again, that doesn't do some of the things that Property Tracker and and the iOS apps that we have in the um, App Store do as well. So, you know, unfortunately, it seems like in every realm of software, there's never one piece of software or one provider that can sort of provide everything. You need to use multiple tools. It's just always the way it is. In our business, it's it's the way it is. You know, everybody's looking for that magical single tool that'll run your real estate portfolio end-to-end or run your business end-to-end, a single entry tool that'll do everything. And, you know, in the business world, NetSuite by Oracle, or, you know, say they say they do it, but everybody I talk to says, no, it doesn't work. And it's not a very good product. You know, it's just, this is the world we live in. It's like Adam Smith described it hundreds of years ago in The Wealth of Nations, right? He talked about the invisible hand, but he also talked a lot about specialization. And he was really, you know, kind of one of the first economists, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, that's sort of my own thinking. I, I may be totally wrong about that one, folks. So don't write me a bunch of emails saying, 
Jason, you're an idiot. There were other economists before Adam Smith. Okay, yes, there probably were. I'm sure there was someone in ancient Egypt counting the grain that was being traded. And, you know, the pharaohs had economists on staff that were figuring out their trade and their agriculture and, you know, whatever they did, right? But Adam Smith was a, a more modern economist. And he really described how important specialization was in terms of adding value. Interesting stuff there. And, and you know, that's the way it works with software. You need more than one tool. But this particular tool that we're going to be premiering is pretty, it's PDA. Pretty darn awesome. So I'm very excited about it. And um, we will be premiering that. Also, we've got another form of rent insurance and security deposit kind of insurance. A lot of these are popping up, I'm noticing, in the marketplace. We're going to be talking about that on a future show or a future webinar, so we'll have that one coming up for you as well. All right, without further ado, we better get to our guest. If you need us, reach out, jasonhartman.com or 1-800-HARTMAN, and here is today's guest. Hey, it's my pleasure to welcome Matt Faircloth to the show. He is the general manager of DeRosa Group, and we are going to talk about COVID-1984 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what is going on in the rental market nowadays and some uh, some landlord chronicles. So let's go ahead and dive into that. How are you doing, hey, Matt? I'm great, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Likewise. Good to have you. What is going on? You know, a lot of people are reading and hearing about rent strikes and so forth. And that doesn't seem to be like, a, it's like a non-issue in the single family market world. Mm-hmm. Right. I know more, more of an issue in the apartment world, in multifamily. Yeah. But even there, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as how the media makes it out to be. No, uh, it's not. What, what's it, happening? Uh, you know, I, I mean, the thought of a rent strike would, 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 would keep any landlord up at night. You know, although I laughed at your at your analogy of a single family home, I just thought like, okay, one tenant doesn't pay the rent. That's a, uh, My whole building's on rent strike or something like that. One well, yeah, but not when you own 30 single family homes. Right, 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 right. right. But yeah, the probability of them communicating with each other, which is probably yet another good reason why single family homes are yet are good because you I can, know. I, we don't like our tenants talking to each other. They tend right. to form mutinies and gang up on Yeah, you. they can't compare notes, right? Yeah, well, he gave me a discount this month. Well, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, Back to, to to your point, and I love what you said about COVID nineteen eighty four. I love that. I, I say Corona crazy myself sometimes, yeah. but yeah. The the um, let's talk about rent strike first. Um, the the media I think latched onto that because it, it it's clickbait. It's it's good fodder. I I saw a few, I heard of and saw a few uh, protesters. You know you know cancel rent and stuff like that. Mostly in northeast uh, downtown cities like New York City stuff like that. I've seen it there, but at the end of the day, I haven't seen it actually been implemented anywhere. I've seen folks protesting these things, but the probability of actually putting together a rent strike is fairly low. Again, I am a human too. I understand where these tenants are coming from. It's tough to get by these days and we try and do what we can for them and try and give them, you know, give them the resources that are out there for them to, to take advantage of for their wherewithal and their well-being and everything. But I did not create the financial whirlwind that they're in the middle of. I'm simply the landlord looking to charge them rent. And so we've tried to explain to any tenant that's questioned it or even on my YouTube channel to put out there that very little of rent that a tenant actually pays goes directly in the landlord's pocket. A small piece of that does. Most of the rent goes to pay real estate taxes, which benefit the tenant. 
keeping schools open, keeping roads open, things like that. And that, so, uh, you know, mortgages and insurance and stuff like that. I think that most tenants realize that they're just really hurting themselves if they stop paying rent because they know there's repercussions or ramifications there. Even folks that stopped paying their rent during COVID, as COVID has started to loosen up its grips on things and, you know, uh, eviction moratoriums have started to lift in most of the states that we do business anyway. Tenants have started to get themselves caught up or come in and negotiate payment plans or whatever. Um, so I think rent strike, the conversation was more of, of a sizzle and the media latching on to a small segment that was unhappy about things and were and and more than a larger movement. I, I would agree with you. It's uh, something that I think worried all of us. Sure. But it just never materialized to be anything. Now, you know, granted, I, I do think we're only in, uh, you know, as I say, the third inning of this whole thing. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. But from how it looks right now, I just don't think it's too much to worry about. I don't think so either. Uh, I think going into November, we'll, we'll certainly have continued unemployment, uh, additional benefits uh, and, and that, you know, supporting people that have lost their jobs or whatever. What happens after November is anybody's guess. And it's not just because well, you're, you're saying that because of the election. Probably, sure. Right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah and I, I agree with you, but I just don't think even post-election, no politician wants to, to have the, the bad ratings that the issue of people really falling on serious hard times. There's always they don't want that on their hands. There's nobody be wants that on their hands. Program. You know, there's going to be another aid package. I, I just think we can. I hate to say it, but I really think we can kind of hang our hat on that. That's the way the world works now. Yeah. Uh, since the Great Recession, there just doesn't seem to be that much consequence for the money printing. As much as, well, there's the chicken littles out there that have a couple of gold bars in their basement, jugs of water and canned food and a shotgun that are waiting on the world to end or something like that. There's those folks out there. And I'm not one of them. I'm not, and I'm not ridiculing those that are prepared, but I am also saying that I think you're right in that we've been doing this since 1970, uh, you know, when we went off the gold standard Um, and we've been able to make it work and be able to pump more cash in the economy when it was needed. And most of the time it gets used for the right thing. And most of the time it's been able to keep things going. So maybe we can just keep going this way. I don't know. I think that they're the chicken little people and the survivalists are right. That eventually the chickens do have to come home to roost. Sure. That eventually could be much longer than any of us are going to live. Yeah. Okay. I think they can kick this can down the road for a long, long time. They could. They could. And yes, made me look up online what comes after a trillion, you know, like what's this, you know, because I think we need to start figuring, oh, it's quadrillion. Okay. That's the number. Let's all get used to it. You know, right. 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 Because they they all have to be denominated in billions. Now they're in trillions. Right. Right. But we need to know as we get closer and closer to that number, what does come after a trillion? I hear you. Okay. Well, um, talk to us about, um, you know, you, you have one interesting thing that you've talked about how you took a duplex and turned it into 20 units. Yes. About that one. Was that on uh, on an Airbnb rental program or student housing? I or, wish. I wish uh, I could say I built 18 more units on the. <laughs> I, I bought a duplex on a bunch of raw land and just built it. No, it was through 1031. It was it was a 1031 oh. roll up. So I bought a duplex uh, in 2004 with my girlfriend, now wife. Um, and we, uh, you know, bought it, leased it out once we got married for married for about a year or so. And then we sold it and we 1031 into two quadruplexes out of that sale. And then, uh, from there 
we slowly started buying down the block of those quadruplexes. So we eventually, through the crash and everything like that, I'm talking a period of say eight years, acquired five of these quads all yeah. right in a row. And they were built the same exact same way. Once you understand these buildings, you know, they're very, they're very basic, built in 1945 kind of thing. So they're very easy to understand and very easy to fix when things went wrong in there. And so I started to, you know, understand these buildings as little, little microcosms and bought a bunch of them. And then once we uh, owned a bunch of them, we packaged them together and sold them as a 20 unit apartment building based on cap rate. We bought them based on cash flow, but we were able to sell them based on cap rate, which made it a way better deal for us as, as a seller. And honestly, the buyer was able to attain market, you know, like, like, you know, apartment building marketplace level financing. And it was able to go in and, and, uh, and, and get good financing on his deal better than I could on buying the individual assets. And that so it was a win-win. It was a win for him. He got better financing than I could have gotten. And we were able to sell at a multiple of what we paid for it. So it was successful to both of us. And, and it took a long period of time to make it happen. I assume the multifamily that you do is all garden style type product, right? I'd love to have a high rise. Uh, I don't own anything with an elevator and it's only maybe because of ego that I'd like to have that one day, just because I think it'd be kind of cool to have a property that's, you know, like a high rise or something like that. But we do not have any of that. We have um, all garden low rises. Well, I I think, uh, I think that's a crazy idea. I think the low rise is the thing with COVID. Oh, it is. Oh, it's, it's, it's a, it, it is a way better maintenance standpoint. It is a way better liability standpoint. It is a way better structural integrity standpoint. Yeah. But, Believe me, it, it's stupid of me to want to own a high rise, but it's just uh, they just you know they just look neat. But uh, we own we own but, but mostly. But it's not it's not just that, man. It's it's the social distancing aspect, right? Oh yeah, okay. I mean, okay. why would you want to have a building with an elevator where people can't socially distance? I mean, that's that's true. You have to make them walk up the side and thought about that. That's yeah. it. Seeing the, the one the wacky things you think of yeah. uh, because of this this uh, this COVID nineteen eighty four thing that uh, you wonder how are you going to do things. My wife and I were out to dinner. In our little town, all of our restaurants here that we have, a lot, you have to eat outside and it's way less population. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of feel like walking home. Let's get an Uber. And then I was like, I wonder if you can get an Uber. You know, I wonder if there is Uber right now. There was. Yeah. And you had to wear a mask and he had this enormous sheet of plastic between us and the driver and all that. So it, it makes you wonder what's possible, like what you can and can't do in this crazy world. But you're right. Elevators are a major concern. So you're right. Okay. I no longer want to own a property. I want to own a high rise because of this thing. You're absolutely right. So we own, you're right. We own mostly garden low rise uh, are the, are the assets that we own most of. And um, so what other changes do you see coming or, you know, maybe they're not coming anymore, but Maybe they're just, you know, they're they're happening now mm-hmm. in in terms of uh, civil unrest and COVID. Okay, I'll give you one positive, and then we can go one negative too. Yeah. One positive that I've seen is the integration of technology in landlording business. Whether you're investing in singles and or large multi, whatever, has all been. Uh, you know, th- th- that's been there pre-COVID. And there's, you've been, tenants have been able to pay their rent online for years through ACH or through online portals or just walking into a CVS and paying their cash at the desk and not getting wired to the landlord. That's been going on for a very long time. And hands-off showings of, of tenants being able to walk up to an apartment uh, to look or a single family home to look at a unit and using a, a combo lockbox that has just a code that they get in there, not a combo lockbox that everybody can have. 
at the Kotu, um, those have been out there forever. But because of COVID, we've been able to design, not we at the DeRosa Group, we've been able to do this, but I think all landlords can, to design a 100% hands-off system. And I think it's encouraged more automation or mandated, more, more mandating and landlording. And I think that these automations have been there and there's been landlords that have their you-know-what together. The adoption is happening. So. Yeah, the adoption of these things. And I think it's only going to allow us to grow and expand and be more efficient in our business and also be provide more better customer service to our prospects and to our tenants um, by providing more automation to them, including with work orders and everything. So I think that's a plus. I, I do too. I think there is a lot of good stuff that's coming out of this. What about the negatives? Yeah, the negative. I mean, I, it's just, I, I don't, again, I think that you made a comment before about we're in the third inning and I agree with you. I'm not sure where all the frustrations of the world end. You know, like where do we, where, where is the safety relief valve that, that we get to everything from, you know, race relations that are happening and folks pulling down statues that have been there for many years and, you know, protests and the Black Lives Matter and all this kind of stuff there. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not picking a side here, or, nor would I, but I do believe there is a lot of social unrest in our country. Part of it has to do with like, if you view the, if you the, the United States as a pot of, as a pot of water, we were already on like 160 degrees because of COVID and because of everything else and because of financial hardship and because everything's happening in this country. You throw some other stuff like George Floyd on top and some other, you know, things that get the microscope on them. We go from 160 to way above boiling really, really quick. And so it was very easy to take, to make the, uh, our world very upset. And I'm talking white people, black people, everybody, because of things like George Floyd. And so, because we were already on edge, you know, where people are already teetering, wondering what tomorrow is going to bring because of COVID um, and that. So I'm not sure if this election will settle everybody down. I'm not sure if that'll happen. I think it'll likely piss at least half of America off, oh, regardless yeah. of who gets elected. doesn't matter. I well, think whoever I, gets I, elected, the other half's going to be mad. You know, I've <laughs> been predicting for over 20 years. I think during our natural lives, we will definitely see at least one state secede from the union, if not several. Sure. Uh, I, I just don't think the productive class is willing to pay for the slacker class indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. who knows? And, and, and the state that secedes or the states can contract with the U.S. Uh, for military defense and all sorts of other services. But the tax base is fleeing these left-wing, landlord-unfriendly, welfare state states that are broke. You know, California, New York would be at the top of the list. I mean, uh, I was going to ask you that if you had to pick one of the fifty, if you could pick one fifth, one of the fifty, which one would it be that you, would, if you had to predict which one would go first? Well, everybody talks about Texas because supposedly, yeah. and I don't know if this is just an urban legend. They have something in their constitution that allows them to secede more easily, or something. I don't. I don't know. About well, they, you know, they were their own country many, many, many years well, ago. They are know. the Lone Star State, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, who who knows? Um, I, I'm not sure. It's really, you know, maybe there will be a new concept to nationhood, but it won't be as as much geographically defined. It'll be defined in different ways. I'm not sure. Everything's so virtual. Well, that's the other thing. That's the promise I have. The the hope that I have here, Jason, is that 
as the, I know, forget about the media for a second, um, you know, who's just simply there to sell, to, for me to watch a Toyota commercial, you know, for me to click on an article that's total clickbait, you know, that they don't really care so much about what's in the article, they more just care about my desire to click on it, right? So talking about the media, I'm talking about more people getting connected online and the possibility of you being able to even, you know, have a show. This is just a miracle you and I are witnessing right now that you're able to record the show and broadcast it through the internet. You know, none of this existed 20 years ago. And I think the technology is what I hope saves mankind and gets us more and more connected because you could be having a Zoom meeting like this. That, that's chosen. a good hope. The problem is it's not democratic. It's controlled by a few tech elites and, and that's... Correct. That's yeah, but maybe that maybe that bubble breaks down and tech becomes more available. You oh, know? Hopefully it does um, because yeah. uh, the, yeah. these duopolies with the big tech companies are just tyrannical. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. Well, just a- any other thoughts on the economy and where it's going? I mean, I think we will see a, a little bump in foreclosures coming, but uh, yeah, but they, I, they can't I, go anywhere I, right now because the courts are closed. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, if there are foreclosures coming, who knows? They're not working their way through the system just yet. So I think there's yeah. going to be a tidal wave. If there, if there is going to be foreclosures, they're going to be quite a bit of them that'll probably show up in 2021. But yeah. I think 2020 is. Yeah, going to be- I really don't think there's going to be that many uh, because I think I mean I think you'll have a lot of foreclosure activity in the urban environments that people are leaving. Places yeah. like New York City, there's going to be a lot of people just letting properties go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, downtown LA, um, California in general. Um, yeah. Any high density, high priced areas where people don't feel safe, you know, some some areas of Seattle, Portland, where we just got this massive amount of civil unrest. I think mm-hmm. we will see significant foreclosure activities, but mm-hmm. those people are leaving and going somewhere. Yeah. And they've got, they're going to the suburbs. That's true. Right? They're going to buy a house somewhere. Yeah. This is not 2008. 2008 was more of a debt crisis. You know, I mean, this is income and and lifestyle changes and things like that this is where we're facing a different shift in america now and that and i think you're right i think it's not going to be mass foreclosures i hope not because that's that that was as much as people that root for 2008 happening again think that 2008 would be a great thing i can tell you i was investing then and we weren't sure who was going to make it and who wasn't banks weren't lending it was a very scary time to be investing in real estate, to be in business and, and, and everything like that. So the last thing I hope is that we don't, I hope we don't go back to that. Even if, if everything gets cut in half price-wise and people can get airport, get a good deal, it's not worth what else happened at that time for, for us to go back to that. Yeah, so, okay. so I hope you're right. Good stuff. All right, yeah. Matt. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jason. Thanks for having me. Happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.